welcome to Killer Casting. I'm Lisa Z. It's October, my favorite month of the year, and I'm here with my buddy Dean. Dean, how are you? What What is the temperature in uh, Australia in October? I just I pulled no this idea. on because I had my work T-shirt on because I've been working outside. It's a Tyrion Lannister T-shirt that was given to me by my kids, and it says, I drink and know things, which of course is a line from Game of Thrones for Tyrion. So yeah, I'm feeling very chipper today, actually, Lisa. I'm in a good mood. It's all good. Okay, good. Well, I'm in a great mood because joining us today is a friend of mine who has encyclopedic knowledge on every uh, mainstream, not mainstream uh, film that you could think of. He's an expert. He's been working for several years with Eli Roth, and he's going to tell us all about that. Uh, Hello, Ben. Share. How are you? Do you? Should I call you Ben Raphael? Share how? How should I? No, should no, I, no. Just Ben. Ben sure is okay. I mean, if anyone ben wants sure. to find me on Facebook or IMDb, I'm Ben Raphael Sure. Um, because there are other Ben Shures who are more famous than me, and I want it to be Googleable, so I took to use my middle name. Not possible. Not possible. Well, welcome, Ben. Welcome to Killer Casting. It's so good. We've been trying to get you on for quite a while, but this is the perfect month to have you on because October is all the scaries. And Yes, it is. And I'm so happy to be here. So tell us a little bit about your background real quick. Oh, my background. Well, uh, I started out as, um, well, I've loved horror movies for my whole life. They kind of traumatized me and then I became obsessed with them. Uh, I started out as a, an academic. I was going to become a film professor and I taught about horror movies, but then I kind of couldn't stand academia. So I left and ended up in the entertainment industry where we met long story. But the, the main gig that I've been doing for the last three years is um, producing uh, Eli Roth's History of Horror, which is a uh, Fabulous, not because of me, but uh, there are a lot of amazing people uh, who who work on it. Fabulous documentary series uh, about the history of the horror genre uh, that is led by Eli Roth and our showrunner, Kurt Sienga. Uh, And it's just its third season just began on uh, Friday night or Saturday night. October 1st, it began. (laughs) Uh Uh-huh. And where can people watch it? If you have cable still, you can watch it on AMC. You can also watch it on AMC Plus. And if you don't mind paying for like two bucks an episode, you can watch it on Amazon, iTunes, all those places the next day after it airs. Great. Now, you know that I know Eli in a really weird way, right? Um, you might have mentioned it once, but what's your what's your connection to him? So Eli went to NYU with my husband, Paul, and they were really great friends, although their aesthetics could not be more different. I mean, even back then, Eli was making films about people eating their dogs and Paul was making comic films about you know other things, but they became really close friends. And um, then one day we one time we were in the Bay Area in Eli. I had no idea who he was because I don't watch horror. That's not my thing. Like horror has never been my jam. So I I didn't, I never saw cabin fever. I never saw anything, but he invited us to a private screening of a hostel too. Right. So, and it was just for like his special fans that were invited to this. And so I meet him and he's sitting next to me on one side, Paul's sitting next to me, the other side. I have no idea what this film is about. Hostile. It sounds like, oh, it's going to be a sex romp in Europe with like young college people. (laughs) Needless to say, 
it was not that. <laughs> but it was so funny because he was sitting next to me and I, people who are listening are not going to be able to appreciate this. But every once in a while, you know, I'm like, so I'm sitting, I'm looking at the screen and every once in a while he would just turn and look at me. And I'm like, what the fuck? And of course, he's looking because he knows there's a scare coming and he wants to see my reaction. Uh, but it was just very unnerving to have the director do that. But anyway, um, well, that's awesome. Uh, so, yeah, people check out this anthology of horror. There's there's nobody better to put it together than Ben and Eli. That's for sure. But what we're here today is to talk about fear and scary performances. Now, you know, there are lots and lots of scary movies out there of all different kinds, all different subjects genres of horror um but i really just wanted to dig into performances that scare you and why you know and a lot of i noticed that when i was putting together my list some of these are in non-horror movies but but for whatever reason these kind these performances and maybe just might be like a short co-star not even like the lead really just put put just terror in my heart. So I wanted to hear what Ben and Dean, uh, what was on their list. So how did you compile your list, Ben? What what's what tends to scare you in general? It's a really good question. Uh, it, this, it was fun preparing for this podcast because it made me think about that. I think number one, the thing that tends, well, I, I, I would, well, Capitalism, but that's not very fun. That's old. <laughs> that's, that, uh, but other than that, I would say people seems to really be the thing that comes up over and over again. I've never been afraid of ghosts yeah, or uh, spiders, or I am afraid of bees, but that's a, that's another thing. But like, <laughs> but what deep in my core, and especially when I thought about what scares me in movies, it's always. People, they're the scariest. They're the most dangerous. Yeah. And I've encountered that in my life, as everyone has. So, yeah, that's that's um, people and um, pathological people. Mm, I uh, find them very scary. Me too. Oy. Dean, what about you? Yeah, I'm not such a classic fan of horror, the genre per se. So my examples are going to be coming from more those really disturbing characters that just creep you out and, 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 and you know, spook you out. So it's, uh, as you mentioned, Lisa, in your intro, some of the characters are not from classic horror genre. That's not the, your Freddies or, or something like that. So, right. yeah, I'm, I'm always creeped out by things that I can imagine are not too far from real life. <laughs> like, yeah, you know, exactly. some guy running around with a chainsaw is fairly, you know, out there, but some creepy dude, serial killer who smiles and ingratiates himself really well with people and then, Gives it to you. I was like, yeah, that's really possible. <laughs> yeah, I, I've been. No, it's just really hard now to be scared of. You mentioned Freddy Krueger and just the. Basically, I find it hard to be scared of any kind of horror movie these days, not just because I'm desensitized, but because the day to day world is just so frightening and the mundane exactly. realities are so that like no any movie you see it's like you say it seems even the movie that i used to find terrifying like the texas chainsaw massacre which is terrifying it just seems so outrageous and so distant compared to yeah. what we see when we turn on the news every day that it's so quaint it's just so quaint so, those yeah exactly exactly <laughs> I live not very far from the original house where they shot Halloween. And every year that we've lived here, those poor people who live in that 
freaking house. Mm. I mean, they have people showing up to take pictures. And, you know, sometimes the owners embrace it and like put a, a statue of Michael. Is that, is that yes, who it was? Michael. Michael? Mm. And sometimes they're like, Go away. <laughs> we don't want you here. Now, but, now, yeah. now, that's some homeowners, Lisa, that you could actually be get behind for standing on the front lawn awkwardly <laughs> holding <laughs> guns, right? Going, get away from me. No. It's like, okay, get you get know off. what? That's fair In enough. In all fairness, get though, off my lawn. Okay. if they don't want <laughs> people coming around, they should never embrace it. Like, they're, be, they're sending mixed messages. Yes, it is true. Okay. Yeah, you, so you, you, would, you, you would invest in a, in a fairly good high, high-size fence, would you not, Ben? Exactly. Okay. Well, let's get to it. Let's get to um, some of the people who are on your list. And the, mine are in no particular order. But Ben, why don't you kick us off? Who who are, you know, one or two uh, scariest performances? On sure. Your list? Uh, and like you, I, I mine are not all from horror movies, which I think adds to the fun. Um, I started with a kind of primal moment, probably the first time I was ever afraid of anything in a movie. And that was when I saw the movie Annie when I was a kid, uh, probably <laughs> shortly after it came out. Uh, and I was so afraid of Carol Burnett as Miss Hannigan, the evil, uh, orphan, abusive orphanage uh, owner. I remember at the, at the first seed after the Annie sings her song or whatever, you meet the orphans, you just, you don't see her. You just hear the scary music and you see like a shadow walking down the hall. It, it, it wigged me out. It terrified me. And I couldn't watch Annie for a long time. And now Ms. Hannigan scares me because I identify with her. And I'm like, oh, kid, just like cynical. And I'm like, oh, life hasn't gone the way I want to. And that's scary in a different way. Uh, so Ms. Hannigan just right. is all over the place. Carol Burnett, I mean, she's so brilliant and she's so funny. But there's something deeply, deeply scary and sad about her too. Mm, I love it. I love it. Okay, Dean, why don't you throw one in there? Yeah. Well, okay, let's let, I'm going to take this one chronologically and think about what scared me, what movies scared me as a kid and like Ben, I have a couple of odd ones. Firstly, uh, uh my mother tells me I was traumatized by The Wizard of Oz and, mm. and and in particular the scene where the the wicked witch melts into the, you know, into the into the ground. So that freaked me out completely. And when I was about 5, I went to see the movie Flipper, the original movie Flipper. And at one point, some assholes in a boat, they shoot him with a spear gun and he's swimming around with this spear bolt in him. And apparently I lost my shit over that because I love animals and, and, and you know, as pe- people may know, I'm quite the water boy. And then when I was 11, I saw a movie that traumatised me for quite a while, which was The Towering Inferno. And I found all the fire effects and the people who were, you know, literally on fire, all those stunt guys, um, one of them sliding down the steel cables inside of a steel elevator, uh, an elevator shaft, and he's on fire and everyone's on fire. And I think, you know, that burning to death would be pretty high on most people's list of ways they'd least like to go and I was I didn't sleep well for several weeks after that so that were my childhood trauma I'm so glad you mentioned the towering inferno because in the circles I travel in anyway there's a lot of a tendency to look at like the 70s disaster movies like that and the Poseidon Adventure as like these kind of campy like funny movies Mm -hmm. and I think they are both 
terrifying and bleak and depressing and just mm-hmm. absolutely horrible. And they make me never want to be on a cruise or go on to the top floor of a high rise. They're, they're still scary now. <laughs> right. <laughs> Okay, it's not just okay. me. That's that's comforting to know. So for me, um, like we've said, I, I'm mostly terrified about things that could happen that are real. And I realized in my list, I'm ter- the performances that terrify me are when the lead becomes the thing that they're the most afraid of and it kind of transforms them. And this is going to be a very random reference. Maybe you neither of you have seen this, but in the Black Mirror series, which I recommend everyone to watch because the performances, I mean, the actors in it are just fucking phenomenal. But there's one episode called Crocodile and it stars Andrea Riseborough. And she starts off as this like wild child, kind of hippie, bohemian girl. And a tragedy occurs that she's responsible for And then you flash forward 15 years and she's this sleek architect, super professional, has the perfect family, the perfect house. And she's threatened like that tragedy is threatened to undo her. And she becomes this horror show trying to shut down and get rid of anybody who threatens her, her life, you know, her, her new life. And the things that she does and brings herself to do are just awful. Um, But yet you're also seeing it through her point of view, through her terror as she's spiraling out of control. So that performance is amazing um, and terrifying. Uh, I don't know. Have you guys ever seen any of the Black Mirror series? Oh, yeah. I've seen all of them. They're they're incredible. Yeah. The writing is off the charts, but but it's matched by the acting. It's just brilliant. I I, I've only seen the like that happy Black Mirror episode, San Junipero, which I loved, but (laughs) I love Andrea Riseborough, and I think she's brilliant. Uh, And knowing that she's in that episode makes you want to start there. You definitely got to hit it. And then along these same lines, this is going to be so cliche, but The Shining. I sort of think of Jack Nicholson, Shelley Duvall, and that little kid as one character almost. Like that trio, that trifecta doesn't work without one of those performances. Um, And again, it's somebody becoming a monster from within and and without and and of course i mean it's just a classic thing of course shelly duvall you know uh, traumatized into that performance so i feel a little bit bad but well, how about, how such- about poor scatman crothers i mean he, and poor he scatman copped it a little bit worse it, it, you know he got out well, of it with, I, I, with I just less than mean shelly the the director traumatizing her to get that performance out of her but i mean it's it still remains so frightening. The the scares in it aren't like all of the weirdos in the rooms don't scare me, but the transformation of that family definitely sticks with you. And uh, a little bit of trivia that most fans, uh, or maybe some fans might know, Lisa, but uh, about the opening uh, shots of the of the film are a, a heli uh, helicopter shots of, uh, of of the car winding up the road. And do you know the link between that? And a very famous science fiction film. Nope. Okay, no. I'm just going to roll on with it. Which is that when the studio was enforcing a happy ending on Ridley Scott for the original Blade Runner, they needed externals and they didn't have any. So of course they're both British. And he went to Stanley and goes, "Hey, you know those aerials that you've got from when you shot The Shining back in the day? Can I steal some of the B-roll for that?" And that is the final scenes of the original Blade Runner. 
That's crazy. Good, good one, Dino. That's a good piece of trivia. Little factoids. (laughs) Yeah, remember that one. It might might win you something one day. Absolutely. Okay, Ben. What else is on your list? Um, uh, just to well, I'm actually going to jump piggyback on you to name my next one. But that idea of being in an isolated setting when the people you trust turn on you—that's terrifying to me. And I agree mm-hmm. that Jack, it's, it, you're so right that it's so, they're both so necessary because Jack Nicholson is so scary and you identify so strongly with Shelley Duvall that the movie would be nothing without her. But re- relating to this idea of like dysfunctional families and people you should be able to trust not being trustworthy. Uh, this is a, this is a, I don't know if it's obscure or not. It, it kind of is, but the next one I name, I'm going to name, it's another childhood trauma for me later than Annie uh, is uh, Louise Fletcher as the grandmother in the movie flowers in the attic. Have either of you seen that? Ooh, no, I no, haven't. I seen read it. the books. I of course read the books. <laughs> Uh, but I never watched the movie. The, the movie is like people consider the movie notoriously bad. Uh, it has its it has its elements that are not good, but it traumatized a lot of kids who saw it way too young. Um, and you know, mm-hmm. it's a story about these these kids. Very briefly, these kids whose father dies and their mother can't make a living. So she brings them to live with her estranged grandmother and grand and her estranged mother and father in this huge mansion in Virginia. And it turns out that the grandmother is uh, a psychotic, religious fanatic, abusive nightmare. And I saw this, I was probably, I mean, I came out in 87. I think I saw it in like 89, which means I, I mean, I was six. So I say it was after Annie. I saw Annie mm-hmm. when I was three. So I was still really young. And the idea <laughs> yeah, right, right. Okay. that um, <laughs> three, the idea that, uh, a grand and, and 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 Louise Fletcher like picks up a little girl by her pigtails and like shakes her around. I mean, it's it's shocking. Oh, and the idea that um, oh, uh, your grand oh, which one of us parents hasn't done that to you know to their kids on occasion? Maybe Come this on. is why I'm childless because I'm afraid I would do that. Um, <laughs> and bald, so you can't get picked up by your pigtails. Yeah, that's right. That's true. No, that wasn't my choice. But um, the idea that your grandmother could abuse you it just was beyond like they say that you get traumatized when something beyond the realm of like what is possible for you to comprehend happens to you and that was that and she is so evil in this movie i mean we all know louise can be evil or Lou want to flow over the cuckoo's yes. nest yes and sure she's just they remade it for lifetime and ellen burston who's also brilliant played the grandmother but i think she was trying to make her like complex and it just, she just wasn't, but Louise Fletcher is just a meanness right. personified in this movie. And her face, I think she's right. a beautiful woman. Somehow she makes her face so scary that for years after I saw the movie, mm. I could not go into the horror section at the video store because she, a close-up of her face was on the cover and I was afraid of seeing it. So whatever she did to make her beautiful face so terrifying, and I'm sure the makeup people helped with that too. I don't know, but it's she is scary in this movie, and it's a crazy ass, crazy ass movie about your fa- family betraying you. Um, so it's very primal for right. me. Love it, love it, Dino. This wasn't on my list, but something that Ben just said reminded, or not reminded me, but prompted me to mention this, and that is that thing of isolation and being unable to escape. Uh, John Carpenter's The Thing. 
did a brilliant job of that. I mean, it kind of, you know, re- repeats those themes in some of his other movies, but nonetheless, that was a very eerie film, a successfully eerie film. I'm going to go way back. We Take yourself and the listeners into the Wayback Machine. We're going to go back to 1955 where – that was before my time, but that's when this film was made. And I remember seeing it as maybe a young teenager, 11, 12, sitting up with mum once one Saturday night watching the film. And that's the uh, 1955 film Night of the Hunter, starring Robert Mitchum uh, as this psychotic preacher turned serial killer. And it's shot in black and white uh, with Shelley Winters uh, is one of the leads and he is just the uh, incarnation of brooding evil, um, notable because it was the only movie ever directed by Charles Lawton, the actor, and uh, it wasn't wasn't very well received at the time. It was a bit out of its time because it was 1955, but it was all shot on using the silent, the old silent film sets uh, in Hollywood. So it was it was obviously and clearly shot on a set as opposed to striving for realism. And so it was a bit out of its time and not well received, but now I think I read somewhere it's now ranked number two uh, right behind Citizen Kane in terms of, you know, brilliant movies. And he's just this absolute badass, by the way, based on a real story. Uh, so the, the character played by Robert Mitchum, Harry, Harry, Harry Powers. And, uh, uh, yeah, and uh, that that scared the shit out of me. And after I had seen, as a young adult, I went and saw the remake of Cape Fear by Scorsese with De Niro, and it was very good. But when I went back and watched Mitchum in the original, oh my god, he is six kinds six kinds of sick in that film. So in the 1955 version, the young actress playing the role of the daughter is much younger than Juliet Lewis. So the idea that Robert Mitchum is going to rape her is even sicker than that it is in, in the remake, which is bad enough. So that, that made a huge impact on me. Oh, cool. Uh, ben, when you were mentioning um, Louise Fletcher, she, of course, was on my list, but you also reminded me of Piper Laurie in Carrie. That performance Wow, that scared the shit out of me when I saw it when I was, oh my gosh, I think I was nine years old or something when I saw that. Um, okay, so moving into the to a more recent film, the performance by Florence Pugh in Midsummer. Have you seen that? Y'all? Oh, yes. I no. Wow. Ta- oh, that's talk rather- about turning into something that you fear. I mean, it's a fantastic film, but her performance moving from this very destabilized, you know, traumatized girl who's dealing with huge loss, you know, grief in her family to turning into this May Queen monster. Um, and I don't recall the name of the actor who's in all the, all those scenes with her. He's like a naughty actor who's the sweetest guy who just wants to murder everybody. <laughs> you know, it's just gets. Oh my god, it's such a crazy performance, but it one hundred percent works. I don't know what this says about me, but uh, when I saw that movie. Which I, I absolutely loved it, and I completely fell in love with her. And like, there was like a little part of me that was like, "Do I like maybe think that this is um, kind of an uplifting film?" Like, I was like kind of happy that like she she found her place, you know? She <laughs> and Ari, I have a little bit of trivia for this. Um, when we 
did History of Horror season two, we interviewed Ari Aster about Midsummer. He directed it. And I don't know if this made made it to the final cut or not, but I'm sure it was in there's a concurrent podcast that I'm sure it is on. Um Ari Aster said that Midsummer he wanted to be like his nineties teen comedy, where you have like the girl who's with the wrong the wrong man yes. and like he and then she meets the right man. And I was like, oh, huh. Maybe I was kind of getting into that clueless, she's all that vibe. But Florence Pugh <laughs> is so amazing. And it's really interesting to trace the line from that movie to Little Women, where she still has this kind of intensity in right. a completely different character that's so exciting to watch. That's amazing. Okay. Who's next? Uh, well, let me let, let me jump in with a couple of classic psycho performances that, that, that rocked me when I saw them. Um, and th- well, actually, I've got three. I'll quickly hit three. Firstly, I remember seeing Michael Rooker in Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer, thinking this should be X-rated. Like maybe it is. I don't know. But what a bleak, remorseless killing machine <laughs> he was. And of course, in real life, he was even worse than the film portrays. So that one, I was just blown away by the fact that you would make a film like that. It was just. Horrifying. And then a couple of um, classic uh, scary guys in film, Dennis Hopper in in Blue Velvet back in the day, just a performance that left you with your mouth open. He just inhabited that and just left nothing back. It wasn't a massive scene-chewing performance, but he's the sort of guy that will play a role like that and you could easily (laughs) believe him doing that in real life that it wasn't much of a stretch for him you know so uh that and and that whole film i just love love it to death david lynch i'm I'm a big fan of him and then in a more modern take that uh amazing turn by javier bardem in no country for old men as anton chigurh was never seen that and i'm not spoiled either i don't know what happens in it so don't tell me it's yeah (laughs) Have you seen that, Ben? I have seen it, yes, and he was yeah. really good. Yeah, he was. There was no negotiation. Once he'd made up his mind that something was going to happen, he just quietly made sure that it happened. And it was the slowness and the discussion that he has with some of the people that he does kill before he kills them. Very understated. He's not angry. He's not, you know, frothing at the mouth and carrying on, which is what makes it even more disturbing that he's just so matter-of-fact, like an accountant telling you, how much tax you have to pay just before he kills you. It's fantastic. I think he won an Academy Award for it. Yeah, and that is a scary thing. Somebody who's not going to negotiate no matter what. (laughs) That's a triggering thing for me. I think it's my turn is next. Uh, And you (laughs) mentioned uh, Javier Bardem, how he's just kind of calm and cool and not histrionic, and that's part of what's scary about him. And and my next, next one on my list is sort of like that, and that is John Lithgow as the Trinity Killer on Dexter. Um, I always Ooh, pick like pick. the Come 80s oh. random movies. I was like, you have to do like one new TV show. <laughs> um, and the, this movie, this show, uh, you know, I, my husband uh, loves Dexter and I, um, it was like a little much for me to deal with mm-hmm. the serial killers every week. Like I like a good serial killer movie for two hours then I'm done with it. I don't have to see it again, but being in that mindset, mm-hmm. but when the John Lithgow season happened after a few episodes, I was like, I can't watch this. Like I'm going to go to the other room and read while you watch this, which is the only time that's ever happened in my life, let alone in <laughs> our relationship. 
And it was partly, um, he was chilling in such an unconventional way. I, I just remember the first time, scene where you see him killing a woman in a bathtub and he's like comforting her while she dies. And he just stabbed her to death. And it just like, ugh. Even when I talk yeah. about now, it's just like shivers at my spine. And then when you when you see the impact he's had, you see him interacting with his family and it's so perverse. That was when I lost oh, it. Yeah. I can't watch this anymore. Uh, yeah. it, it was just, he's such a so genius, but it's like, um, yeah, I'll never forget it. I'll never forget it. Yeah. He's got that great. You just made me think of it. You know, the scene before he actually is taken down by Dexter. I don't think it's a spoiler alert. His parting words, to Dexter before he's killed are are just so uh, just so so creepy and you realize that he's he's done something that uh, Dexter doesn't know about but anyway oh yeah good pick that was a great one Ben Any um, you yes actually I will uh, Terry this is related to Trinity another kind of family man who's psycho and really fucking scary uh terry o'quinn in the stepfather have either of you seen that? oh what a great classic that i, I still use i still use I lines from that. that on my kids today <laughs> having seen that i'll, I'll often I'll, I'll often just stop if i'm sort of confused <laughs> and discombobulated i'll just stop and i'll go wait a minute who am i here you know, there's that classic line <laughs> <Yes>. of his, <laughs> and the kids. Are, I had to explain it to them, and now they eye roll me, of course. But yeah, that was a fantastic role. What a great actor he is! You have to show it. To, you have to show them the movie now, so they'll understand what they're doing. Yes, with. yes, yeah, exactly right. <laughs> he reminded um, me of kind of all the creepy suburban dads in the town where I grew up, like conveying this like this attitude of perfection, but you just always sensed something, something not good underneath. I was just going to jump in that that sometimes the smaller roles just really pack a fucking punch in the face. So I, I was thinking I can never really get the image of this actor out of my mind. For one thing, nobody had ever seen him look like this before. He was known for a whole other thing. And when you saw him, it's like I didn't even recognize him. But that would be Donnie Wahlberg in The Sixth Sense. Um, do you remember him in this? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. So he's he you just see him in one scene, I think. And he is he has he lost like 80 pounds. He's like a skeleton. He's completely like shaking and out of his mind. And I won't spoil it, but he 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 literally triggers the whole movie, basically. Um, but he was just it was an astonishing transformation and performance and it's just so indelible he's only on screen for i don't even know two minutes but uh it was just fantastic fantastic work okay uh and then one more let's see who uh, I, uh you know there are a lot of great people in get out um and i remember betty gabriel if you remember she plays i don't remember the name but she plays the housekeeper or the nurse and it's so funny because betty is actually such a sweet i mean i met her when she did her showcase and she came to do like a general with me and i'm like you're just i don't think you're a tv actress i think you're meant for other things you know but um she was just so great as this eerie um character I don't even know what you would describe her and get out she's kind of become zombified um it's just a wonderfully unnerving performance 
Um, mm. Okay. You, uh, guys, you've just made me that, think you know? of somebody when you were talking about smaller performances in films, but still ones that grab you. That would be uh, Willem Dafoe's character of Bobby Peru in Wild at Heart. Have you guys seen that? No. God, I haven't oh, seen that in so he, long. He is. Willem Dafoe can go from handsome to really ugly it, just by the way he contorts his face. And the character in this is, it's a pretty wild, it's a pretty wild movie, Wild at Heart. It is a fairly brutal movie at times, but this, this particular character of his is absolutely disgusting and <laughs> it's just, it's pretty hard to describe. So if you haven't seen it, but if you, when you do see it, you'll understand what I'm talking about. Um, I'd like to change gear a little bit and talk about a Japanese director who's a favorite of mine. His name's uh, Takshi Mite, and he makes some of the most hardcore films that you will see. And in particular, um, there's a character, sorry, the actress, if I'm, I'm probably going to mangle her name, because, but it's E-I-H-I. I'm thinking it's I-Hi, E-Hi. Sheena in Audition. So that is a living horror film. And uh, then there's a film that he made about 10 years ago about 10 years ago called Ichi the Killer. And I couldn't believe the level of violence uh, in it. It was it was quite shocking. But one of my favorite films of him of all time is the movie from again, it's about 10 years ago, uh, 13 Assassins. And it is one of, if not the best modern modern samurai film ever made. It's brilliant. But there's a character in that called Lord Naritsugo, played by uh, Goro Inagaki. And he is the brother of the Shogun and a stone-cold raving psychopath who feels that he has the right to rape and murder anyone he wanted to in that era of Japan. And there's one scene that it's not a spoiler because it's in the trailer, he has some servants. He's in a. He's on the you know the back of the Japanese deck of a of a shoji house, and there's a small garden, and he's got four or five or six whimpering uh, servants uh, kneeling in the grass, including children, and he's just calmly standing on the back step of 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 the house, using them as live target practice with a bow, oh. and completely impassive. I know oh, it's just. God. So Takshi has written these scenes and then there's the most epic battle scene at the end of it, which is brilliant. But this guy is just one of the most disturbing psychos I've seen. They were very, very good. Great. I'm urging you all to check out Takshi Mite. Mm. Okay. Ben, bring us home. How many more do you have here? Oh, I have a million, but if this is the last, That's okay. this is the last one. No, no, no. This it. Is, it doesn't have to be. Uh, I have a, I have like other two more that I'll that I, I'd like to do. One is um, Julian Beck as Kane in Poltergeist Two: The Other Side, which oh, is actually another. Yes. Have you seen it? Oh yeah, but and I know Julian Beck is was a li- literally a living legend in the theater. Um, so go, but go ahead, go ahead, talk. Yeah, no, that's something that nobody ever talks about. It. Everybody knows. I mean, everybody in the horror nerd circle knows him from this. Uh, he was he plays the ghost who's trying to get Carol Ann and Poltergeist Two, and it's it was in 1986. It was the height of Stranger Danger, and he's kind of presented as like this friendly, gentle kidnapper who's trying to seduce her away <laughs> from her family until he is he, things take a turn and he just suddenly gets there's a scene where he's trying to get into the house and they have to let him into the house in order for him to do what he wants to do and they won't let him in and as he's he's 
demanding that they let him in, he just gets more rageful and more intense. And it's the scare one of the, one of the scariest scenes and the most impactful scenes in any movie. And it's in this horror movie sequel that nobody takes seriously. And I love mm-hmm. Julian Beck because he was part of you must remember what was his theater company called the living the living theater he and judith molina were just they were just rock stars in the you know downtown uh new york scene and you know along with willem dafoe in you know he was also in in that sort of era um but yeah they were they were just very experimental theater and i believe that he was dying of cancer when he filmed uh poltergeist and that kind of that's why he was so so thin and had skin that was so so crepey looking and and although i think he died shortly thereafter but he really woo he was scary very very scary and in the the living theater they used to do that they'd get in their audience's faces you know just to Mm -hmm. make them uncomfortable and he brings Mm -hmm. that power to a horror movie which you know they they should use new york theater actors in horror movies more often because i think it it always goes well uh so that's amazing to me um and then the last one that i will go with which is very iconic it's a good grand finale is uh tony todd in Candyman, uh, who mm-hmm. I almost didn't include on the list because, as I said to Lisa earlier, um, I saw Candyman in the theater in 93, or 92. I was like nine years old. And that movie is so scary and crazy. And all this, and be- long before you see Candyman, you see what he's doing. And I'd mm-hmm. never seen a movie that was so bloody or violent or grotesque. And all these horrible mm-hmm. things are happening to the characters and you don't know what's going on. But you know there is a Candyman and you will eventually meet him. Mm-hmm. And I remember I was so scared that when I knew he was going to appear, here there's if you remember there's a scene where virginia madsen goes into a parking garage and he's there i couldn't even look i closed my eyes like you could just hear his amazing (laughs) deep voice and you couldn't escape him because he was penetrating your ears and it was so intense now i'm in love with tony todd and i'm in love with candy man the character and i would totally marry him and because you know he is it's it's really it's a very complicated i mean there there have been academic chapters on this movie and it's contradictory really? depictions of race and right you know it, it's it's um in some ways candy man is like the most sympathetic character in the movie because he was you know he was murdered by racists for loving a white woman and mm. he's coming back to get revenge which very much makes sense so, you know trauma <laughs> cultural traumas mm-hmm. do come back to get revenge the problem is he's killing other black people in the movie which is like no Candyman would kill the white people like that's but you know maybe it's more complicated than that i don't know but i think right. the remake or the, the sequel excuse me not the remake that just came out i was gonna ask you about that I, I was I, gonna I, say I did did you see I, the remake no, I shouldn't have even mentioned it because I didn't see it. Um, and the reason is because I w- it was only in the theater and I'm still freaked mm-hmm. out about going into movie theaters because of COVID. Yeah. I'm like such a neurotic. Um, but it is on on demand now, so I'm going to have to watch it. Um, but soon. it still is but controversial. I, I mean, I was... Yeah, I heard it was good, but I also heard it was still controversial. But I just want to mention, I told I told Ben earlier that I actually auditioned Tony Todd very, very recently. He's so lovely, but he's... Wow, uh, and he was he was auditioning for a very intense role, and uh, he, he baby still got it. I mean, he is his voice, his height, his everything, and he's wonderful. Such a sweet, sweet guy. 
I'm so impressed that you met him. That's so fabulous. <laughs> and got to read with him too. That's, oh, that's God. even better. Uh, okay, Dini. Well, just on that point, you mentioned about not going into cinemas, uh, Ben. At least you've got the choice. We Melbourne and Sydney are still locked down, and we cinemas haven't been open for months and months and months. And it's gotten to the point where I'm now starting to get pissed off because I refuse to see anywhere else but the cinema. I refuse to see Dune, which <laughs> is, its release is imminent, and I I just absolutely and utterly love his work. I will watch anything that he does. And the fact that they gave it to him to do after his triumph with, you know, the basically everything. I don't think he's made a dud film yet. So I was very keen to see that and I'm just going to have to wait. I'm changing gears completely. Top Gun 2, I love the look of that. The extended trailer, I'm me just too. like, yeah, baby, me take me back to the 80s, Tom. So I'm, and I'm, but I refuse to see that anywhere else as well. And there's another one too. There's a, another big Another big one that must be seen in its full glory and sound. Uh, just it's popped out of my head. But uh, anyway, cinemas, come on, come on, guys, let's let's all get vaxxed and get back to the cinema. Yeah. Okay. Any more from you, Dean? You can just float them out. No, the- I'm no, dry. No? This oh, is okay. this is not my not yeah. This is not my you know my not totally in my wheelhouse. So I've I've, I've given you everything okay. that I had. I got a couple more. Um, so I don't know if you've ever seen this film called Enduring Love. It is the creepiest film. It stars Daniel Craig and crazy Samantha Morton plays his girlfriend. And the premise is that they're on this beautiful, lovely picnic and this balloon floats by, you know, like a balloon that you ride in. Uh, what do you call them? A hot air balloon floats by. Um, but there's but it's um, there's a little boy trapped inside the balloon. And so all of these people start running and trying to save him and like grab onto the balloon. And um, like four or five men are just trying to um, hold onto the basket to try to get this boy out of it. And they all start to fly away. Um, and so they let go. And one of the men dies on the way down trying to save the boy. And the other two men survive. One is Daniel Craig and the other is Reese Efuns. I don't know if you know who that is, but he's like this kind of tall, lanky Welsh um, actor who I think was in the Harry Potter films. But anyway, so these two men have this really crazy experience together where uh, this random experience. But it turns out that Reese starts to like stalk him and become like so because they're so connected by this near-death experience and um he just ends up like ruining his relationship with samantha morton and he's just becomes this he falls in love with him and can't leave daniel craig alone which i know we all have had that experience that feeling too but um but anyway uh it's a really creepy depiction of uh of a stalker um who's just losing his marbles um and then um the hitcher have you seen the movie hitcher with rucker howard and c thomas howell wow that movie i can't when it's on i have to turn it off because it's so relentless this um this hitchhiker who we don't know why but is just relentlessly chasing down this young man and and uh, murdering people and blaming it on him i mean it's just such a chilling crazy performance um and just a couple of that was that was the great rucker howard that's what i was said yes rucker howard and yeah oh yeah. i didn't hear that sorry and a couple honorable mentions gary oldman in the professional wow doesn't oh, get yeah. scarier and crazier than that uh maurice compte as big evil in end of watch ben mendelson in bloodline and of course Anne dowd as aunt liddy in handmaid's tale she's a genius you hate her you love her 
you want to make her tea, you want you want to stab her. <laughs> you know, she just produces all of the feels and fears, uh, and she's wonderful in the leftovers too. So those are mine. Um, anything else? Oh, Ben, I have a question for you, and I may have asked you this years ago. There is a movie that scared the crap out of me when I was like nine or ten years old. Um, let me take that back. That that scared the crap out of me. It's about late. late 70s early 80s i never found out the name of it but i saw it on television it's about a girl who is being possessed by a frog like there's an evil frog or an evil toad in an aquarium and somehow it is like possessing her and she anybody that she gets close to they end up dying like she's making out with this guy on this speedboat and it ends up blowing up and she doesn't know why this keeps happening to her. And <laughs> does, does, if anybody out there knows the name of this movie, I have been searching for this movie for years and I can't find it. I, if anybody knows what I'm talking about, the evil frog um, telling this blonde, uh, the lead is like a blonde, long-haired blonde actress. Um, please let me know because uh, it's literally kept me up nights scroll- doom scrolling through <laughs> horror movies of that time. Ben, do you get the sense, as I do, that maybe this entire podcast session is only about Lisa getting this out on social media? Yes. Well, I what think is it's this bloody movie? I think that I, you know, I, I think it's great you have this platform for this. I actually, I'm going to plug my friend's website because it's a, a place to go for exactly this issue. Uh, it's called Kinder Trauma, mm-hmm. www.kindertrauma.com. Mm-hmm. And people write in with, a description of the crazy movie they saw when they were a kid that they've always remembered and they don't know what it's called. And very often it's like a crowdsourced thing. People can, can say, Oh, it will tell you what it is. So you should definitely write into them. Uh, I have not heard of that movie. I want to know why this frog was possessing the girl. I I bet you don't remember why. I don't know. It had to do, it was like this aquarium that was full of like, instead of angel fish i remember there was something called devil fish in the aquarium and then there was this talking toad that kept telling her that she was like demon seed or saying that she was going to be the doom of everybody around her and it turned out like everybody she came into contact with like something dreadful happened to them um so that's all. I just remember the, the the end scene is her. It's like this classic seventies or early eighties, like slow motion. She's just screaming and like collapsing against the curtains, and it is just fantastic. But it it you know, I've never been able to find out what it was called. I'll so look anyway, into it. Well, now call we're to intrigued. action, people. Call yeah. to all right. Action. Hey, so before when I said that I was tapped out, so that was only about what less than ten minutes ago. I had said to my wife, April, Lisa, that uh, I'm, I'm the wrong person for the pod, this this particular pod from our household because she loves her horror, right? And so I said, oh, I'll, I'll have to um, get you to word me up on some of your favourites or whatever. So in the seven or eight minutes since I said to you, no, I'm tapped out, she, off mic, she just scribbled out and handed me this list, okay. which has about 20 titles <laughs> on it, right? She's like, oh, here's a cheat sheet. Right, and it's like Train to Busan, the uh, 2016 zombie film. Right, we're talking um, about performances rare... now. Her favorite performances. Yeah. So I'll have, we'll get her on next uh, time. We'll, okay. She'll Not, get her. We'll get her on next time. Uh, 
All right, we'll get her on yeah, another time. Anyway, I thought that was funny. Thanks. Well, honey. thanks, April. We love you. Ben, any last words? I'm so glad we got to do this. This was it so was- fun. Anything else you want to say before we... We go and watch Bachelor in Paradise. Uh, no, uh, do just you know, tune into Eli Roth's History of Horror. Uh, Google it to find out what night it's on. It's terrible. I don't remember. I think it's I think it's Friday night. And um, <laughs> uh, no, th- I hope I can come on next Halloween. Uh, thanks so much for having me. Yay! Absolutely, Dean. Do you guys do Halloween in Australia? No, it's a it, well. Some people are trying to adopt it. <laughs> And it is becoming bigger and bigger. And I'm I'm from the school that says, drop that American bullshit. That's got no history in Australia, okay? Just leave it alone. <laughs> what the hell? Although, although, Lisa, as I recall now, two yeah. years ago, it was Halloween, two years ago in 2019, when I flew into LA and I met you for the first time in person <gasps> And Laura, and we had lunch in in uh, in at the in, so- LA, at the in, Soho in LA, house. and that was on the morning of of October thirty one. Wow, so there you go. fantastic! It's meant to be. Well, our lovely listeners, if you have a performance that we forgot, please, you know what what do they what do they do? Eat, uh, Dean? They insta us. They they what do they do? They how do they find? Yes, yeah, hit, hit hit us up on either Insta or Twitter. Or on our Facebook page, we're everywhere. We're on all the socials. Just search for Killer Casting. You'll see the logo. Looks like you're the one that's in your podcast app. And uh, drop us a drop us a line. Right. Okay. Well. Say, so how could you? How could you make that list and not do? Yeah. Uh, exactly. We want to hear exactly. those. Exactly. All right. For now, this is Killer Casting signing off. Killer Casting is a concept created and produced by me, Lisa Zambetti, with audio engineering by Dean Laffin, logo art by the lovely April Laffin, website and big old fat opinions courtesy of Brian Allen Hill. 